You're listening to Diferente. I want to start by reading another great review, and this one comes from iTunes. It's titled, Love the Different Perspectives. This is so refreshing. I love the range of guests that you have, and the way your down-to-earth style of conversations opens them up to share great insights. Every week, I learn major keys that relate to something I'm going through in life as well. You are helping me weekly to achieve my goals. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone should tune in. Thank you so much for that wonderful review. And hey, if you're enjoying Diferente, go ahead and press pause right now and write us a review. You can do that on iTunes or Stitcher. Just click on the five stars and then tell us why you like Diferente. Tell us what kind of stories or perspectives you'd like to hear more of. Because your reviews help us to continue creating content that inspires you to live an extraordinary life. My guest this episode is a fellow passionate creative who immigrated here when she was 18. Her name is Angie Garcia. And the other day, we sat in my kitchen sharing stories of our personal experience living as immigrants in the United States and how we both learned that part of being an immigrant and living the American dream is learning to adapt to first world problems. You know, things like worrying about self-care and agonizing over the type of latte we'll have today. That's not to say that in this country, people don't have real problems. So let me stop you before you send me a message about how insensitive I am. I know there are thousands of people who still don't trust their drinking water in Flint, Michigan. I listen to NPR. I mean, the freaking drinking water. I honestly don't know how that is still not resolved in this country. And that's the funny thing about living the, quote, American dream. If you're an immigrant like Angie and I, You've probably had a similar experience where one day you realize that things here are not as perfect as they once seemed from far away. Most of us had this rude awakening during the last presidential election, and in this episode, we talk a little bit about that, plus what it's like to have to find a new community, constantly having to explain our immigration status to people, and the reality of white immigrant privilege. Bienvenidos! Welcome to Diferente! My name is Maribel Quesada-Smith. I'm an expert at questioning everything who wants to bring more color into your life. I'll be coming at you every week with a little humor and a mountain of passion to share with you stories and ideas related to life, culture, creativity, and business that will inspire all of us to explore different perspectives. Don't be surprised if you find yourself motivated to shake things up. That's known to be a side effect of the Diferente life. And it's contagious. Now let's get to it. Angie, welcome to Diferente and welcome to mi casa. Bienvenida. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that you made the drive in to see me and to be on the show because I really wanted to have this conversation face to face. I think that whenever I have the chance to sit in front of someone and actually have a conversation with them face to face, I just feel like I have to take that opportunity. <laughs> so I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. No, thank you. Absolutely. I think with all of social media going on now, we forget the importance of, of the face-to-face. -face. Yes. And actually, um, I want to tell people a little bit about how we met. Do you want to tell the story about what we did a couple weeks ago? Uh, yes, I'll tell the story. And you probably don't know this, this part of the story. Okay. 
enlighten me. <laughs> so I was hosting my first event, uh, Crafts and Heart Talks, uh, here in uh, Delray Beach, Florida. And it was my first event, and I was quite uh, nervous. You know, I wanted to make sure I had some incredible women uh, participating. So I was reaching out to, um, to different women in the area, and um, I was getting disheartened because it was, you know, that time right before Thanksgiving, and so many people were telling me, I'm sorry, I'm out of town. So I think it was late one night when you answered my message, and I was working on things for the event, and you just said, yes, I will, and you're like, I, I got my ticket, and literally I started crying. Oh, <laughs> Oh my god. Cuz I felt like I was like, yes, you know, you know, th- these are the kind of women that I want, you know, at at my events, the ones that, you know, immediately see what I'm seeing and and say yes. That's so funny because so let me tell you my story, my side <laughs> of the of the story. When that day, it was a Friday. It was the day before mm-hmm. when you sent me that message and I, I've been going through a tough time, and I've shared a little bit about that on social media, not a whole lot, but I have been going through a tough time these last few months, just kind of a little bit of depression and anxiety and self-doubt, I think. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I haven't been able to build a community. You know, we moved here a year ago. I, don't, I didn't really know anybody, and I've been working from home, so it's really hard to make friends that way. So... Interestingly enough, that Friday, I was taking a walk with my dog, and I thought, you know, I really need to do better. I, I, I tend to say no when people invite me to do things because maybe I don't know them that well. For some reason, I've become a little bit more introverted. I didn't used to be. I used to be a total social butterfly in my 20s, and now in my 30s, I'm like so introverted and just always afraid and not always afraid, but just always worried about, you know, what that person wants. You know, maybe they want something out of me or, you know, what are their intentions? So I, it's my own fault. I'm alone and I'm not making friends because I'm not trying. I'm not putting myself out there. I'm saying no all the time when people ask me to do something. So I made a commitment that day that I wasn't going to do that anymore. And then that evening you sent me the message and I immediately was like, well, I have to say yes, of course. <laughs> but it wasn't even like I had to force myself. Something inside me said, yes. I didn't even think about it. I saw that when I saw the description of what you were trying to accomplish with that event, which was basically create and cultivate relationships with women and be able to share our stories and share our vulnerabilities, it was like everything that I had put out there into the universe, <laughs> everything that I said, God, I need guidance here, it was given to me in that moment. And it was, it was magical. And I'm so glad I went because I had a lovely time. And I feel like now we're friends. So <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> It's perfect. All right. So let's um, circle back (laughs) to the beginning. I always want to share people's stories through the podcast. So can you talk a little bit about where you're from, uh, what brought you to where you are today? Yes. So I am from San Pedro Sula, Honduras. So a small country in Central America. And I came here to the U.S. uh, now about 10 years ago. So back in 2008, I came here for college, and that was the dream. I, I was in school back in, in, in Honduras, and I knew that I wanted to go to college in the U.S. You know, we, you know, we had this, this notion that education uh, was, you know, a lot better here in the U.S. And, and obviously, I got here, and I fell in love. <laughs> Wait, you fell in love with a 
person or you fell in love with the country? <laughs> with the country. And then I actually fell in love. <laughs> <laughs> More on that later. <laughs> yes. And I met people, you know, through college from all different nationalities. And that really opened, you know, my eyes. And, uh, you know, going to school for sport business, I knew that it was a career that it was better suited for me here in the U.S. than in Honduras, which prompted me to, to want to stay. Okay. So let me go back a little bit to your childhood. Can you talk about what your childhood was like? Did you, were you always really good at school? Did you have a lot of involvement in activities or what were the reasons that you felt like you had to leave to get a better education? Um, so I had a great childhood. I come from a big family. We would get together every Sunday at my grandparents' house with all the cousins. And uh, that was such a great, you know, experience growing up. You know, your co my cousins were my best friends. I have the same experience. <laughs> I, no, seriously, that's so funny. We have so many, like, things in common when it comes to our childhood. <laughs> uh, yes. So, you know, we were really close uh, as a family unit. And I did go to a, you know, a pretty good school where I, I learned English and Spanish. I was a straight A student that uh, played all sports because just playing one, I don't know why, did not seem to be enough. So your love for, for sports is the reason why you wanted to study sports administration, I'm, get, I'm guessing. That is correct, Okay. Yes. And that, was that the main reason why you thought you had to do it in the States? Um, yes and no. I think that even before that I knew what I was going to go to school for, due to the security situation uh, in Honduras, you know, it was already hard, you know, going out to places and you had to be careful at what times and, and, and with who and, you know, not, not to stay out too late. And I think I was seeking freedom. Uh, I came here seeking, you know, the, the peacefulness of just being able to walk outside without looking over my shoulder every you know, two seconds. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What it's what life is like in Honduras for people, not just like yourself, but a lot of other people who are living this reality of just feeling insecure in their own communities. Yes, uh, it's it's tough. Um, e I think it starts even when you look here in the U.S. and the houses don't have fences. Uh, <laughs> well, some, <laughs> <laughs> some, um, you know, but typically they 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 don't. Uh, and back home, it wasn't just a fence. It was a full-on, you know, concrete mural in front and trying— And all around. Yes, and all around the house mm -hmm. uh, trying to protect. But the, the insecurity of if people, you know, if anyone wants to, you know, get into your house, they can. If, you know, they, they'll find a way. Uh, and it happened to us once. And that was scary. Luckily, I wasn't home at the moment. Uh, but it, but it's scary, you know, to come back home and it's like your stuff is gone. Yeah, I can relate to that 100%. I had a very similar situation happen yes. in Mexico. <laughs> yes. And, and unfortunately, is it's the reality of things. And, and it's the reality of you're, you're driving out on the streets and it's late at night. And if you're at a stoplight and there isn't, you know, many traffic going on, you don't stay at the stoplight. You keep going because you don't know. You, you don't want to get robbed. You don't want to yeah. get robbed. Yeah, I, that, that sort of situation happens in Mexico too, unfortunately. So I understand what you're saying. 
And so you didn't feel safe. How about your family? Your family's still there. How do they feel? Um, I think that when you live there, you, you get used to it in a way. But anytime something happens either to you or to a friend, you remember how tired you are of dealing with it. It's interesting because you brought up the whole thing about there are no fences in the U.S. And, you know, usually a lot of houses in the U.S. don't have fences. But, you know, now we're trying to build this fence or <laughs> wall on the border. How do you feel about that? I feel that it's unnecessary. You know, we, we need to remember that before we are Americans and we, or we are from Honduras, we're humans. And that we need to treat each other like, you know, like brothers and sisters before anything. How do you feel about the migrant caravan that is now at the border, at the U.S.-Mexico border? <clears throat> There's lots of talk about that. So <laughs> why don't we just get right into it? Huh? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, you're from San... <laughs> No, but the reason I bring it up is because you're from Central America. A lot of these people are from Central America. They've had to cross through Mexico. There's all kinds of feelings about it. What, what's your opinion? I think I see both sides uh, of the coin in here. But, but one side that I think people are not understanding is that, is what I was just saying. People are tired. Uh, they're tired of, of the same thing going on in, in Honduras, of the violence you know, the insecurity. And it's like, well, even though, you know, there, there's a lot of, of challenges on the way, you know, from Honduras to the U.S., they're willing to, to do anything for their children to have a better life. Um, and they know that that's possible here in the U.S. Um, so I understand, you know, why they're coming. And I understand their, their desperation uh, for, for a better life. But I also understand uh, the, the Americans' concern um, with it. And um, I do believe that there has to be regulations of them uh, coming in, but we have to be empathetic uh, with, with them. Yeah. What, what's causing the violence and the issues in Honduras with safety? Can you explain a little bit about that to someone who might not know? Um, most recently, it has been the uh, narcotrafico. Oh, okay. So drug trafficking. Yeah, drug trafficking has inf infiltrated in, in Honduras for the, you know, the past few years. And it, it's gotten into the cities. Um, you know, so that's... And into the, the, what you would call the nice neighborhoods now. Uh, so it's not; it's no longer only on the on the pueblos or on the you know outskirts of the cities. It's it's coming into the city, and uh, so now it's it's scary. They're like I don't understand why why are the drug traffickers messing with everyday people? Um, they're messing more so with businesses, you know, because they want to have control. Uh, so they they ask uh, businesses, you know, if you want to keep your business, you need to pay us something. And the government's not doing anything about no. it? No. Okay. So you feel like you don't have faith in the government there and the leadership to fix any of this? Yeah, exactly. Whatsoever. Um, so it's been years and years where promises have been made by government officials and, uh, you know, nothing has been done. Man, the similarities between Honduras <laughs> and Mexico, they just like, <laughs> they're outstanding. So we, we suffer from a lot of the same issues. And that's why I, I hate it when people 
try to pretend like it's just a Mexico issue or just an Honduras issue, this drug trafficking, you know, takeover of cities by the narcotraficantes and these crews of people is happening because they have the power and they have the power because they have the money and they have the money because people are buying their product. Yes. And where do they buy most of the product? In the United States. Exactly. And so when people get mad about what's happening there and people migrating up to the U.S. for safety, we need to really, really look inside ourselves and and ask ourselves, what are we doing to contribute to this? You know, if you're someone out there who is doing cocaine or whatever choice of drugs you please that is coming from these countries, you're contributing to the insecurity and the lack of safety and stability that is happening in these countries. You have to look at it as a consumer issue as well, because when it comes down to it, it's all about money. So... I just find the irony very interesting <laughs> you know, that, the very, <laughs> yes. that a lot of the same people who are like, keep these people out are the same people that are contributing to the issue. And not everybody, of course, not everybody, but many people are, you know, so when you're purchasing your whatever <laughs> you want to put in your body, I would suggest that you find out where it's coming from. <laughs> Is it fair trade? Is it organic? You know, where, where was this grown? No, I mean, it sounds silly, but it's true. Like, I'm not trying to be a prude here, but like, you yeah. got to know where this stuff is coming from. And if you really, truly care about people, then you have to understand how this issue affects others. Just like, you know, slave labor and human trafficking and prostitution, all of that. We are the ones who are consuming some of these things. We have to bear some of that responsibility. I don't know. I just got on my soapbox. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that uh, many people don't, don't see it that way. But anyway, <laughs> we went off the rails here. <laughs> I, I just really wanted to kind of share the story of the why. You know, because we hear a lot about the migrants that are coming and people are just trying to get in the U.S. And then, of course, you know, yes, there are people within that caravan, I'm sure, who have committed crimes. There are people who maybe you don't necessarily want as your neighbor. So if there's a process, if there's an actual process that is legal, that allows them to be screened, then that's how you find out. But if you're just going to turn your back on them, they're going to find a way to get in regardless. So why don't why don't not just make it easier to process these people so that they can define and figure out, you know, what their backgrounds are, check their backgrounds, make sure that, you know, they're not people who are just escaping their government's, you know, rules or their government's laws. And they're people who really just want to come here and have a better life. But anyway, let's talk about some of the cultural differences that may have been shocking to you. You know, you knew about the U.S., of course. You studied English. You were familiar with the culture, probably. But what was your biggest shock when you came here? I think there were many shocks. <laughs> and I feel you on that. <laughs> when I came here. And even though I had come here, uh, you know, for, for vacation in the past, actually living here was, was different. And, uh, you know, first of all, it was, oh, my God, the streets are so you know, clean and uh, <laughs> and everything is so organized. And I think the size of everything and the openness uh, was was pretty surprising to me. What was the most difficult thing to get used to? I think the most difficult was being away from my family. 
uh, at the time and when you're 18, you're like, woohoo, it's, uh, I'm free. I'm no longer under my parents' <laughs> roof. But the reality is that after a couple of months of being on your own, you start to really miss that home cooked meal and that, that time with, uh, with your family. Was there anything else that culturally kind of jilted you? I think that what I noticed throughout my college career was how, and, and it makes sense that, that we do that, how the international student community tended to stick together uh, and not really you know, mix outside of that. And it wasn't until I got deeper into my career that I moved a little bit away from that and, and started seeing the perspective from um, you know, the U.S. citizens. Because it was easy to connect with the international students. We had a similar story. They understood where we were coming from. Um, but it was connecting with, you know, with these U.S. citizens and then explaining to them, you know, this is where I come from. This is, you know, this is how it is. And opening, I think now I see it as it, that it was my responsibility to open their eyes into what else is going on in the world. Hey, you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. What are you doing with this podcast? Are you sharing it with your friends? Because one of the best ways to let somebody know that you care about them is by sharing thought-inspiring content with them. Like this podcast, where we share stories and experiences that expose us to different perspectives. Here are three easy ways to share the show. You can take a screenshot of this episode and post it on social media, text it directly to anyone in your contact list, or... You can also send them the link to our website, diferentepodcast.com. Voila! Super simple. If you like Diferente, the best way to support us is by sharing it, sharing it, and sharing it some more. Now let's get on with the show. Your husband's Colombian, correct? Correct. Do you feel like you guys have a lot of similarities culturally or because you married... Yes, you married a Latino, because in the U.S. we're all lumped together. We're all Latinos, <laughs> right? But... You're from two different countries. So do you still feel like you have several cultural differences? Yes, many. <laughs> okay, talk about some of those. Um, I think the first big difference was language, believe it or not. Even though, yes, we both, you know, speak Espanol. <laughs> there were many words that were not the same. And we, we would uh, find each other asking, like, wait, what did you just say? What does that mean? And I think still till this day... And we've now been together eight years. I say a word or he says a word and we're like, wait, what? <laughs> so that has been a challenge for you. What else? Yes. And I actually did not realize how large of a, of a country Colombia was in comparison to Honduras. In the sense that when I first went to Bogota, I was like, man, this is a big city. It's a big, big city. Yes. It's a big, I've been big there. city. And then I understood why my husband, when he went to San Pedro Sula, he's like, this is a pueblito. <laughs> <laughs> Me imagino San Pedro Sula is probably very similar to maybe Aguascalientes, Mexico, which is where a lot of my family's from. Is it like, a, it's a city. It's a city, But it's yes. not a big city. No, it's not a big city. Everyone so doesn't have much like know no, each other. <laughs> okay, yes, that's how Aguascalientes is. It doesn't have like a, like a lot of high-rise buildings no. or anything mm -hmm. like that, but it does have a center. Yes, it does. Do you guys do you guys uh, usually have your your the center of the town? It usually has like a cathedral, a main yes. church, and then where the where the mayor works, 
like the building, the offices for them. Everything's like right in the same square, right? Everything plaza? is in the same square. Like yes. a plaza. That is correct. Okay. So that's that's how we do it in Mexico too. But obviously we have the Spanish. We were under the same rules. So that's why we have so many similarities. But this, the languages have really shifted. I mean, the, we don't say the same words the same way. No, <laughs> not at all. And I think the big debate with my husband is which word is uh, the the better word? He's like, <laughs> he claims that <laughs> Colombians have the best Spanish. <laughs> Every country in Latin America claims to be the best one. <laughs> the U.S. is probably the only country in which Latinos truly come together. We unify because we're all kind of lumped in. Well, no, not kind of. We are all lumped in. We are Latinos in the U.S. And so this is the only place where I've seen that like push for people to unite from different countries. That Obviously, that doesn't have to happen in Mexico or in Honduras or Colombia because you're either all Mexican or most of you are Mexican or most of you are Colombian. But here, it's the only place that that happens. And it's very unique and it's special. And I think it's wonderful because it teaches us that while we're different, we have a lot of similarities because we go through many of the same struggles. Like if I had stayed in Mexico, I probably wouldn't understand the concept of being associated as a Latina. Like I wouldn't get it because I'd be like, no, no, I'm, I'm Mexican. Don't lump me in. You know, you want to keep that individuality. Plus when you're from that country, you don't understand the struggles as much because you've been used to being in an area or in a, an environment where everyone pretty much gets treated the same because you're all Mexican. <laughs> yes. Again, going back to that, right? So it is a big cultural shift coming here and being lumped into this group of people who are Latinos. For a very long time when I was growing up, I didn't want to be lumped in. I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm Mexican. And I'm still like that. I mean, I still, I'm very proud of being Mexican, but I'm also very proud now of being a Latina. But that, that only happens here. I don't know. Have you noticed that? Like, if you go to Honduras, do people really say, oh, I'm a Latina or I'm a Latino or Latinx? (laughs) Not at all. They're like, I I am am a Honduran. I'm Honduran. We do have a very mixed group of people in Mexico. Like, you have all kinds of color (laughs) in skin tones. And what you do notice, sadly, is the colorism. You know, there's a lot of differentiation in how somebody gets treated when they're darker skinned as to how they're treated when they're fair skinned. In Mexico, that happens a lot. I don't know how it is in Honduras. Like, the indigenous people in Mexico, they're mistreated all the time. Oh, wow. I don't remember noticing it as much. Um, What I did notice is that uh, darker colored tend to live closer to the coast. Um, So there was that, you know, that differentiation right there. Like, you know, if you go out, you know, to the coast, you'll see more dark colored than if you were, you know, more in the inner city. But I don't remember, I don't recall at least the negative name calling and such that that we see here. Okay, so now let's transfer it back to the U.S. You're a fairly light-skinned person uh, of Latin American background. So if you put you and I together next to each other, I feel like if we were in, for example, I don't know, Columbus, Ohio... (laughs) (laughs) People would look at us and they might probably assume that you are just a gringa, you know, another American girl. Do you get that a lot? Have you experienced that? Yes, I do get that. And and a part of me gets a little bit taken aback by it because 
I do want people to know that I am Latina. Uh, I am proud of that. So when I when they look at me and they're like, you don't have that much of an accent. And how did you learn English? And it's this shock of that people outside of the U.S. actually do learn English, you know, from a very young age. People outside of the U.S. do learn other languages, other languages, multiple languages many times. Do you feel like you've had an advantage of being able to blend in a little bit more? Uh, I think so. Uh, definitely learning the language from such a young age uh, was a huge benefit. Yeah, because, I mean, it's that's a reality that we often don't talk about, but it's true. Again, like, not only are you Latina, but people might not assume that, you know, you're Latina. They might assume you're an American girl of Caucasian <laughs> <laughs> roots. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that, but that has to play on your identity. I'm sure that messes with you because it messed with me when people would think that I was half black and half white growing up. I was always like, no, I'm no. Mexican. <laughs> like there are Mexican people that look like me. <laughs> and it's it's hard because it you, you want to be proud of who you are, but you also don't want to be mean about the fact that people get confused. But it's like, yo, like, this is who I am. I'm just, I'm diferente. <laughs> Diferente and proud. <laughs> oh, that's our new hashtag, Pope. <laughs> hashtag Diferente and proud. So how has your journey been in building a community here in the U.S.? So like you came here, you met your husband pretty quickly. So you kind of had a, a little bit of a friend group, I'm guessing, or a social circle. But outside of that social circle, how have you been able to create a community or have you been able to build a community here? Um, it's tough. I've moved a couple of times. So every move makes it difficult uh, to, to make new friends. And it's always the question of where do I meet people? And I think that once you're out of college, that is the big question that we, that we encounter a lot of the times. And like you mentioned earlier, you know, it, it is our responsibility. I, uh, you know, moved here to Florida and I was like, well, I don't know anyone. And how do I meet people? And it wasn't until I went outside my comfort zone and I said, okay, yes, I'm going to go to this event and this other event that I started sort of meeting people. But each, you know, each move made it tough. That's one of the hardest things about moving, about starting over. I think it teaches you a lot about who you are and it forces you to get out of your comfort zone to actually make those new connections. But if you're not willing to get out of your comfort zone to, to, you know, meet people and strike a conversation, it's never going to happen. As an adult, it's just so hard to make new friends. But I have to say I'm guilty of making it more difficult because just I've isolated myself a lot. And to be honest, a lot of the reason why I've isolated myself has to do with the fact that I'm busy. I have, you know, I have my nine to five and then I'm doing the podcast. And so every day I have something to work on. Every day I have an excuse not to go do something. Like it just seems like it's going to take a lot of energy out of me when, when I already have a laundry list of things that I need to get done. And then I wonder why. I wonder why I don't have a community. I wonder why I haven't made those connections down here. Well, that's part of the problem. <laughs> Wait, hold up. Before we go any further... I have something very important to ask you. Will you share this podcast with your friends? It's very easy to share the love by either texting a direct link to this episode 
or posting a screenshot and link to the show on your preferred social media platform. Make sure you tell them why you want them to listen. Thanks for your support. Now back to the show. Earlier, you mentioned that you always feel like you have to explain yourself when you tell people that you're from Honduras, that you're not an undocumented person. Tell me a little bit about that because I feel the same way. Yes. So I think that, and, and I don't know, maybe it's me, right? That I feel that people are are questioning, well, is, you know, did, did she come here legally or did she come here illegally? And, and how did she get here? And I think that more so what's going on now is that I feel the need to explain myself, even though they haven't asked the question. How do you answer? You know, I, I tend to explain that I, I came here for college and then I got a work visa and then I got married. Emphasis on work, work visa. visa. <laughs> work visa. Why do you think you feel that way, that you have to explain? Why do we need to explain ourselves? Why do we need to tell people that we didn't come here undocumented? Like that makes us, I don't know, better or more accepted. I, I feel like for me, it's, it's a sense of, I don't want people to judge me yes. I, before they get to know me. Because exactly. I think that, unfortunately, the label that comes with being an undocumented person in the U.S., of course, you know, as we see nowadays, is very negative. And so for me, it's like, oh, okay, let me, before you even jump to conclusions, <laughs> let me explain. Exactly. I think a big part of it is that it's judgment. And it's, and that's a whole other topic, you know, the, the fear of being judged. And, you know, we all go through it in, in different ways, uh, whether it is, you know, when we meet someone. But in that particular case, it is definitely the fear of being judged. Do you think that immigrants from, I don't know, Ireland, England feel that way? Like they have to explain themselves that they're not undocumented when they're in the U.S.? No. I, yeah, I think <laughs> I feel the same way too. I, it's, it's something about being a Latino in the U.S. that you just have that automatic chip on your shoulder, where you just have to always be on the defensive when it comes to that. I've actually, I've never been to the border. And when I tell people I've never been to the U.S.-Mexico border, I haven't either. they're like, well, then how did you get here? <laughs> you know, you, you on you, an airplane, <laughs> on an airplane, like everyone else that comes here, <laughs> like a lot of people. Yes. All right, let's talk about what you've been up to these last few, what, months? Or has it been a year since you decided to pursue some of your creative endeavors? I think it has been more than, than that. I think it's been maybe like about two years since I, uh, you know, do dove into it. <laughs> Can you talk about that? Yes. So I, after I worked in, uh, in sports while I was in Houston, I moved, you know, here to Florida. And I decided that I didn't want to continue in the sport industry and that I wanted to change. So I went the regular route, you might say, and started working at, in corporate, you know, your regular nine to five job. And uh, when I, when I did that, I thought, you know, this will be perfect. I'll have more time in my hands and, you know, I'll get to, you know, learn the ropes of the corporate world and this pretty picture that they had painted to me about working in corporate. Um, I soon found- Benefits yes, in a 401k. Benefits. But don't Amen. get me wrong, it's Very great. Nice. Absolutely. <laughs> As a freelancer, I will vouch for that 100%. Yes, those are nice, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, but I soon felt that it wasn't enough. I felt, 
I think the word would be unfulfilled. I, I didn't have a good outlook of, okay, where is my career going to go next? What am I supposed to do? And as a straight A student <laughs> and as a planner, I was freaking out. I was like, I- I'm supposed to have a plan. And I soon realized that just, uh, you know, climbing the ladder of the corporate world was maybe not exactly what I wanted. And uh, then I started diving into, wait, what do I love to do? You know, what is it that I really like doing? And I think that's a question that a lot of times we don't ask ourselves. We just, you know, you know go, go along with it. And I started going deep into myself, into discovering more of, of who, who I am and, and what are those things that I like doing. And I went back into my childhood. Growing up, I painted uh, ceramics with my grandma. And I never realized how much that impacted my life until now because I noticed how much I missed it, how much I missed the, the, the creative, artistic you know, piece that I had put away in a box for so long. And I realized that I didn't have to craft and, and DIY only for a gift or only for doing something more affordable because I couldn't purchase it at the store, um, that it was okay to do it just for fun. And that's when I started, you know, getting into this whole artistic, creative atmosphere. And, and I started to find, find the joy in that. So what is it that you do with your creative outlet? You have a... Um... You started kind of like a what a shop was it or yes so at first I started um, making jewelry and I would host you know live events you know through through Facebook Live and Instagram Live where I would uh, chat with with the people that would watch me and uh, make the the earrings or the necklace at the same time and teach them how to make it uh, as as we're talking. And that, that's how I started, uh, and that has now evolved into what is now the Artesana. And what the Artesana is, it's, it's a brand for um, the heart-centered women so that they can dive into self-discovery, self-love, self-leadership, but through uh, creative experiences, kind of like what we did with Crafts and Heart Talks, right? It's It's, you know, looking into yourself and um, I think it's important uh, for women to see how amazing we are. <laughs> yeah, um, it was really nice to be reminded of who I am and what I have to offer the world. Dur during your event, you had this activity where we had to talk to, uh, we had to, to talk to the person next to us and find out a little bit about their story. I think it was like a minute or two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> And then we learn about each other quickly, and then we write down on this postcard size, or not postcard, but flashcard size uh, of paper. Then we'd write down in that piece of paper the qualities that this person has, obviously positive qualities that this person has. And it's a really nice reminder because when my partner read those qualities to me out loud describing me, I was like, oh, yeah. I am those things. <laughs> so my partner described me as passionate, outgoing, confident, emprendedora, which is an entrepreneur, creativa, so creative, 
that inspires um, the community with great intentions now. So I have this little card on my fridge to remind me of the great qualities that I can bring to this world. And that event really, it just awakened me, awakened a sense of the fact that it's important to be in a community. It's important to reach out and meet new people, but also it's important to remind yourself of the great things that you can bring to the world. And I'm not just saying like, talk about how great you are all the time. (laughs) I'm saying there are great qualities within you that you have to offer this world. So if you just keep yourself shut in in your house all the time and you don't step outside of your bubble, you're never going to discover why you were given those qualities. Because I think we were all given these qualities for a reason. And for me, it is to make the world a better place, to to leave this world better than I found it. Yes. Um, and I think that's that's the purpose uh, behind uh, the artesana. Um you know, obviously, I mean, I'm doing it through crafting because I love it. <laughs> um, but also because I want to make sure that I'm making that positive impact on women, that they can see that on themselves. I think a lot of times we're not aware of who we are. And like you said, you know, all the gifts that we bring into the world. And it's it's a work in progress, I think, to learn to talk to ourselves like we would talk to, you know, our best friend. You, know, you would tell your best friend they are creative and emprendedora and all of that. So, you know, it's it's good for you to have that reminder uh, every day mm-hmm. for yourself. Yeah, I think a lot of the time we're too shy to admit of what we have to offer. Because we, as women, we tend to just kind of downplay things sometimes. And especially as Latina women, you know, you're taught to be nice And to play fair and to be polite, especially polite. Especially polite, yes. So a lot of the time it just seems rude to brag. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a little bit of a little bit of bragging. You should be proud of who you are. Yes, uh, absolutely. I think the whole bragging portion is something that I think I've learned. Another question for you. When did your bubble burst? about the American dream. Like everybody has this notion of America, the amazing country. I'm going to have the best time. It's going to be a great experience. Everything's going to be fixed when I get there. When did your bubble burst? I think it started to burst uh, with my first job out of college. And it started to burst because it was, it was the type of job where it wasn't you know, it wasn't just your nine to five. It was seven days a week. And it wasn't making, you know, a, a whole lot of money. <laughs> like like you think, you know, you're coming to the U.S. and it's like, oh, yeah, you become rich. No, it doesn't work that way. Um, <laughs> it doesn't. So I think that's the first time that it started to burst a little bit. And then I think when it really burst was when I got to corporate. Because even though I was making more money and even though I was having all these benefits, I realized I was unhappy, um, you know, with my job. And a lot of times you, you don't think about, you think about the American dream as, oh, you know, you're, you're going to, I don't know, I used to see it as you're happy all the time and everything is just picture perfect. And you feel safe and secure in your environment. Because you mentioned that. I mean, that was a big motivation for you. And and I think I did, you know, feel safe. Um, 
but I didn't think about my my emotions, you know, throughout the process. And, you know, it really burst my bubble because I was like, wait, is this the American dream? Is this what it was supposed to be like? But why am I not fully enjoying it? And it was then when, you know, now the artesana uh, comes to play. And I think that now the American dream really is whatever you make it to be. That it doesn't have to be coming here and working for corporate. It can be going the entrepreneurial route. It can be going and doing, you know, those special projects that we find joy in. And I see it as as finding joy. I think that now. That's the American dream, huh? That's the American dream. Finding joy. I like that. (laughs) The interesting part about how your dreams shift depending on your environment is that it really has to do with socioeconomic issues. When you're in a country where your main concern is safety, your main concern is, I don't want anybody to break into my house. I don't want to get raped or killed when I'm walking down the street. I don't want to get or robbed kidnapped. or kidnapped, 100%. <laughs> and then you come to the U.S. and you're like, okay, I don't have to worry about those things anymore most of the time. But now all kinds of other priorities come to surface. And now you have to worry about your emotional state. Now you have, because quite frankly, now you have the resources and the time to worry about what you really want, your emotional state, your well-being, that self-care, all of that. Those are first world problems, people. (laughs) Yes, they are. They are. And (laughs) frankly, I think we're lucky to have them. When you really put things in perspective, we're lucky to have those first world problems. Sometimes I have to slap myself and remind myself, like, yo, you live in a home. Like you have a place to live that is nice and you get to drive a car to work or you get to drive a car to get your groceries. You don't have to go pick the groceries <laughs> from the field. You don't have to uh, worry about water coming into your shelter because you don't have real walls or a real roof. Sometimes I think we really have to remind ourselves that we're pretty lucky already. Yes. And I think that puts things in perspective. Yes, and, and I think the whole self-care, right? I think if I tell my mom that lives in Honduras self-care, she'd be like, what? <laughs> what do you mean by self-care? <laughs> self-care is survival, Mika. See? What are you talking about? <laughs> self-care is me not getting you know, robbed or kidnapped walking down to the, to the store. <laughs> exactly. Two more questions. What is your passion and how do you define success? Okay, so first, uh, what is my passion? Uh, I think I've been searching my passion for the past like two, three years. And I believe that our passions tend to shift and change as, as we do. And for now or for today, I think that my passion is making a positive impact to those around me. I love that. And what is your definition of success? <laughs> that has also changed. <laughs> It always does. And that's okay. We're ever-changing people. Yes. I think for me, success now means uh, living the most joyfully and fulfilling life that I can. And that's in every aspect. You know, with what I'm doing for a living, making sure that I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing, as well as at home with my family and, you know, outside with, with friends and any new people that I meet. Thank you for hanging out with Angie and I while we had this conversation about the American dream. If you want to learn more about Angie, 
Check out our website, diferentepodcast.com, or look in our show notes for the links to her social media profiles. Do you feel like you are living the American dream? What does that even mean to you? Let us know on Instagram or Facebook at diferente underscore podcast. Thank you for listening to Diferente. If you liked this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review and by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just don't forget to tag me at Adiferente Life so I can know you're listening. Hasta pronto.